Welcome to Mark My Words, a podcast that not only aims to inspire and teach the listener about entrepreneurship, it also aims to give my guests an opportunity to talk about their unique journey in entrepreneurship and life. So join me and my guests as we meet at the crossroads on Mark My Words. Today on Mark My Words, I have a guest who has a, such a well-rounded, uh, how can I put it, well-rounded resume for lack of a better way to put it. They are the author of the Career Toolkit, Essential Skills for Success That No One Taught You, which I can't wait to talk about that topic. Also, creator of the Brain Bump app. And he has such a interesting and uh, lengthy resume and so many experiences that I'm actually going to give Mark Hirschberg a chance to kind of just sum it all up. So, Mark, go ahead. It's all yours. Sum up, uh, sum up your life and your career. Well, well, thank you. Thanks for having me on. So let me give you a quick overview of some of the things we're going to touch upon today. When I first came out of MIT back in the 90s, I started out as a software engineer and I quickly got into startups. It was a dot-com era and I love startup companies. I've done a whole bunch of different things from cybersecurity to labor markets to other types of marketplaces, online advertising, media. I've tracked terrorists and criminals on the dark web. I've helped a couple Fortune 500 play startup, whole bunch of cool things. Now, as I went down that path, early in my career, I realized I wanted to be a CTO, a chief technology officer. What I quickly learned is that that didn't just mean I'm the best engineer. I could solve the problems fastest. There were these other skills I needed, leadership, communication, networking, negotiating. And I soon realized these skills, they're not just for leaders like myself, they are for everyone in the company, for mid-level managers, for entry-level people, for summer interns, and certainly they're for entrepreneurs and solopreneurs and anyone running a business as well. The problem is no one taught them to me. So I had to teach them to myself. As I was going through this and realizing this would benefit other people, I began to upskill my team. Now, as I was doing that and went down this path of building all these startups, MIT had discovered the same shortcoming and said, we want to teach this in our school. When I heard about that, I reached out and said, I'm happy to give you the content I came up with. I thought that would be it. But they asked me to help create more content and then to stay and teach. So in addition to my work doing tech startups, I've also been teaching at MIT and elsewhere and then, of course, the book and the app and everything else we're doing. And these are skills, of course, that aren't just for MIT students or college students or engineers. They are for everyone. So I've had this dual career building startups and in the professional development world. Wow. And that really, I know a lot of what your book is about. A lot of what you just said there really ties into that and then some. And that. That whole topic is something I can't wait to talk about. And I know that we will get there very soon. But first, something that I always kind of start off the show with, with my guests, is to kind of go back, all the way back, if you can remember back that far, and talk about, so looking just at like, Perhaps your LinkedIn profile looks like you majored in like physics and then you got into like uh, engineering. Are any of these things like were they things you were passionate about growing up or did you just say, you know, as you were getting ready for college, you're like, oh, that kind of somehow fits who I am. How did you wind up on that path? Great question. When I was nine years old, my older cousin was talking about what he was learning in physics in high school. 
he's talking about black holes and time travel. I thought that's really cool. Well, if that's what you do in physics, I want to study physics. And from the time I was nine, I knew I wanted to do physics. Now, I ultimately did not go into the field. I do have a degree in physics. I didn't get my PhD. I didn't go into the field. I'm still very glad I studied physics because it gave me a really fundamental way to think and problem solve that I still use today. Now, interestingly, in ninth grade, at the time, I also wanted to be a lawyer. Don't worry about the fact that you can't be both a physicist and lawyer. <laughs> that wasn't an issue. I'd find a way. I wanted to be a lawyer. And for my ninth grade elective, there was a course called justice. Thought, okay, well, that's what I want to take as my elective. When I went with my guidance counselor, she said, oh, yeah, we're not offering that this year. Pick again. I didn't know what to do. I had no backup. And so I sat there uncertain. And in one of the few moments in my life where a guidance counselor was actually helpful, she said, why don't I sign you up for computer programming one? I thought, Ugh, I don't know if I want to do that, but I had no better option. I thought, I'll change it later. And she, of course, had the foresight knowing computers were becoming more important. So she signed me up for that. I showed up to class, not excited, but with no other options and quickly realized this is fun and exciting as well. And that led me to double major, not only in physics, but also electrical engineering and computer science. And then I went on into my graduate work in that field as well. So do you have to be like super duper smart to study physics and engineering and some of these topics, or is it just something that you just have the right uh, DNA and mindset and intelligence for? Well, how would you define all that? What would be your answer? The answer is yes, right? And that's both of them, but that's what it's like in the real world. In fact, it applies, we might talk about this a bit later, it's going to apply to the skills we talk about in the book. If you think, for example, about a musician, there are some people who pick up a violin and just seem to immediately take to it and get really advanced. And then there's other people where they have to train and practice to do it. We see that with language, we see that with sports, we see that with writing and math and art and science and just some of us the way our brains are wired, the way we think, we naturally take to it. Other people, what we need to work at and really focus, it's not that if you're wired for it, you inherently have an advantage because what often happens is as people who are natural at it say, oh yeah, I don't really have to work at, and they don't put in the effort. And those who say, I am committed, I'm doing that daily effort, they often pass the people who just rest on their natural abilities. So it's really how you approach it. In fact, I'll say for the book, I was not natural at any of these skills. I am not natural at communicating effectively, at negotiating, at team building. That's not who I am. And because I was so weak at, when I went to learn it, I really got the fundamentals. And that's what let me get really advanced and even capable of teaching others. Well, it certainly seems to me like you're pretty good at all these things. So there's got to be something in you in addition to all of this that kind of, you know, I guess if you really want to do something and you really have the passion and drive, you can make it a reality. And I've learned that firsthand just from doing this podcast and really just beginning where I got to in my own life. So I, I think in addition to all of what you just said, I think that passion and drive kind of has to be there too. I, I wish that I could just be like, eh, I'm just good and I'm going to kick back and it would just all happen. I wish that, you know, I, I think for some people it happens that way, but I think for most of us, we got to have like that drive and that passion somewhere, which you clearly seem to have as you took all this into college and studied and made your way out. And then as you went through college, did you know what you wanted to do with all this after you graduated? What were you thinking at that point? I did not actually. 
And this is important to understand because in the book, I start chapter one, creating and executing a career plan. And I'm about planning, but I also recognize you don't always know. And coming out of college, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I first thought I wanted to be a physicist. And for various reasons, I realized that wasn't the right fit for me. So I shifted my graduate studies to computer science. And okay, I like programming. Now at the time when you came out with a computer science degree, you had three primary options. This was back in the early and mid nineties. Option one, you worked for big tech and big tech back then was IBM and Microsoft. Not very exciting. Option two, you could go work at a consulting company like McKinsey or PwC. Also not very exciting. It felt really corporate. I didn't want to do that. And the third was Wall Street. Well, that's even more corporate. I knew I didn't want to wear a suit and none of these sounded like good options for me. So with no other choice, I kind of just bounced around a bit. I spent a year working as research staff at MIT. That was my way of hiding out from making a decision. And I finally found a job with some small tech company. I don't even know if the word startup was used. It wasn't even that common a word back then. Like, all right, small, youngest tech company. I know I don't want to do the other three, so I'll do this. And it turned out that was the right fit. I found my calling. That's where I do well. But that was not intentional. That was process of elimination. Yeah, and I think we all kind of go through that coming out of college or coming out of high school, perhaps. And I know for me, when I came out of college, I was like, okay, I'm going to wind up because my degree was in broadcasting, television production. I thought I'm going to wind up doing some fancy corporate gig or I'm going to wind up on production crews. What really wound up happening is I did quality control for corporations where you sit in a room and you watch like they're programming all day and pass or fail programming. And that was something that I, I had no idea that that was like a career option, but it wound up becoming a good fit based on my personality and just my, you know, my skills. And, and it wasn't something I was looking to do, but somehow, some way it found me. And sometimes I, I feel like life has a way of working itself out and taking you to where you should be. And it sounds like that happened to you as well, where, you know, you know yourself and you're like, okay, corporate America is not my thing and that's not where I want to be. And even though there might be really good money in it, you stayed really true to yourself and you still found your way and have had all this success. So sometimes it's just a matter of just staying true to ourselves and being patient and, you know, just allowing life to find its way. And I, and I, we, can, I, yeah, we can make that more efficient. So you and I both kind of got lucky that we eventually stumbled across what we wanted, but you don't have to just wait to stumble. You can be more proactive. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I recommend people do is go out and talk to other people talk to them about their jobs, talk about what they do, what they like, what they don't like. It doesn't matter if this is a job you want necessarily. Now, certainly if you're thinking of going into a certain field, great, talk to people in that field, that's helpful. But even talk to people in other fields. So for example, you might not want to be a lawyer, but if you talk to a lawyer, we have this image of, well, lawyers go into court and they have this dramatic moment, because that's what we see on TV. But when you actually talk to a lawyer, they're going to tell you most of their day, it's sitting in a room by themselves and they're just pouring over documents. They're redlining document, they're changing words, or they're sitting on three hour long conference calls with an annoying client. <laughs> and when you hear this, you might say, oh my God, that sounds horrible. Okay, why does that sound horrible? Well, I know I don't want long conference calls or I don't want to deal with clients or I don't want to be redlining documents. You might hear from someone else maybe an actuary who is building out all sorts of models in Excel. 
and you hear, well, I don't think I want to be an actuary, but I like the idea of spending my day working in Excel, right? Maybe that's your thing. And so you start to hear components. Oh, I like a job where it's very nine to five and I don't have to think about it afterwards. I like a job where I have a lot of flexibility. I like a job where each week I'm constantly meeting someone new. And you start to say, okay, these are things I like and don't like. Let me see if I can find a job that, that combines these different things I like. And you start asking people and that's going to direct you. So if you say, well, I hate sales. I like meeting new people. I like technology. I don't want to be an engineer. And then you discover, oh, field technician. Okay, I can be someone who goes out into the field and I'm not necessarily building things, but I might be configuring it or helping to train the client, for example. So I'm doing some traveling, I'm meeting different people, but I'm not writing the code. So you can find your calling. And that's not something that would necessarily be on a list that you'd get from your high school guidance counselor. Yeah, no, and I totally, not only do I totally agree with that, that you got to put in the effort. The universe isn't going to just take care of everything. You got to put in the effort and you got to listen to what I guess the quote unquote universe is telling you as well. But on a side note, I have to mention, I too thought about becoming a lawyer at some point in my life. If I didn't go into broadcasting and television and all that, that's what I wanted to do. But even after taking some of the law classes that I took, which were really cool and I learned so much, there was a point where I was watching court TV and I saw an actual like proceeding, just a normal everyday proceeding. And I was like, you know what? This isn't like all quirky and fun like Allie McBeal or night court or something like that. This is just like some dude, you know, prosecutor talking and he's just like a regular dude. And, you know, this is kind of like kind of dry and boring. I almost feel like if I put myself in there and started as a prosecutor talking about my case and said something kind of meant to be funny, they might call me in contempt of court or something. So it's like, I don't, I don't think there, there came a point where I was like, okay, I don't think I belong in that world. I need to be doing something where that kind of creativity is a little more encouraged and appreciated than in the court of law. So <laughs> just on a side note, I, I too had a moment where it was like, okay, that's, that's not for me. So. Yeah. And this happens. Law is actually a case where it happens a lot because again, we have that image from TV shows and movies are very telegenic and don't show the boring parts or you go to law school and we hear this from lots of people. I say, well, law school is interesting. We're really debating the finer points of the law. It's very theoretical and philosophical. And then you're saying they're just looking at contracts going, do we need a comma here? Do we need to change this word? And it's not as almost fulfilling. It's a lot more just laborious and minutia. And we see that in other professions too. Doctors, for example, people who go into medicine say, I want to help people. That's the number one motivation is I want to help sick people. And then they discover in private practice, you're spending a lot of time doing paperwork and dealing with the finances and trying to get reimbursed from the health insurance. Oh, and by the way, you have to hire staff, your front desk worker, the billing people, the nursing staff. Did you know you had to sign a lease and where do you want to put your office here or there? And this is more expensive, but is it worth it? They don't talk about that in med school. So there's a whole bunch of other things. And of course, solopreneurs, as many people in your audience are, you discover there's all sorts of little things you have to deal with. Now we can outsource a bunch of that. You might not be doing your own accounting. You can hire an accountant, but still you have to deal with your accountant and you have to keep your records and then talk about why you should do this versus that. That's not what you went into graphic design for or consulting or whatever you do. So there's a lot more in the details. We need to make sure the details don't pull us down. And I think kind of coming off of that to just kind of relate to your point, 
I really, as much as I would want to go through the training and the school and become a lawyer, what I really would want to become is a judge because I, I think I would love being a judge, but there's a lot of steps I would have to take in order to become a judge. And I don't really think I want to do that. So I probably chose the right path for myself rather than doing all that and doing a lot of stuff that A, I probably wouldn't have liked and B, probably not qualified for. So, you know, I guess here we are. <laughs> and we see that a lot with some people where they say, for example, I want to make lots of money. And so they go into law or finance and say, well, I am making lots of money, but you're working long hours. You're not inspired by your job. And it can be very disheartening. And so for a lot of people, you have to recognize there's a balance between, yeah, I'd love to be making $10 million a year, but what it might cost me to do that, is it worth it in my time, in the loss of relationships and lifestyle? And it's really a balance about what you want optimizing overall in your life and not just let's maximize money or maximize just one thing. And that's so important. And I agree that that balance in life gets overlooked because I spent years grinding it out in corporate America. I was actually at one point getting up at 3 a.m. and driving into Washington, D.C., working like 6 to 2, then driving through all that traffic, coming home and just being so tired. The job that I was doing could be very stressful. And I look at my life now, I'm living in Florida. I have like a work from home job. I have flexibility to do this show, which I find extremely fulfilling and I love doing it. And my life now, I personally am not making the kind of money that I was, but I love my life and I love the flexibility and the quality of life. So to your point, that you know, not that making a lot of money and making sacrifices is something we should avoid, but there's definitely a lot to be said for having a good balance and quality of life and finding your passion and your niche in life that way. Yeah, money is a means to an end. It is not an end in itself because money buys you happiness. But if you're giving up enough happiness to get the money, ask yourself, is this a good trade-off? And those are very wise words. I, I love, I knew I was going to love this conversation. And uh, I actually, before we get into some real good stuff, like the heart of what you're about now, I have to ask, so you got out of college and you started working in all of these uh, non-corporate jobs and were just doing what you do. Where did you get to the point where you said, you know what, I want to, you know, be an entrepreneur? Did the opportunity kind of just grow and find you? Like, how, how did you wind up branching out and being your own entity? You know, there's some people who say, oh, it's, it's in me. I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to be my own boss. And that's not true for me. I was at tech startups. Now, I very quickly became very senior. Partially, there was good timing. Partially, it was my own drive. Partially, it was because I know when at a startup, so the tech startups I do where it can be as small as tens of people to start, I've even joined when it's been single digits, to hundreds of people, if I'm not one of the top people, I don't have a lot of visibility or influence or control over where it goes. And that means I don't control my own destiny. I don't control the company culture. I don't control certain other things. But I didn't have to be the CEO having the final say on everything. That was not important to me. So I was at first joining other companies, but in between when I would leave a company, 
I would consult. I've worked as a fractional CTO or fractional CPO, so chief technology officer, chief product officer, where I might go into a company for three months as an interim person, or I might do a certain number of weeks for an extended period of time, again, as an interim person. So in that sense, I was a solopreneur and entrepreneur on my own. I always just thought, well, when I find the right company, and again, going in at person number seven, to me, okay, I might not technically be a founder, but I am building the company and that's probably really the value for me. These days with my app, with another company I'm building right now with a former colleague of mine. So I'm doing it from the ground up, but that was never in of itself. I have to do it. So as you were working through the CTO roles, I mean, it almost kind of looks to me like you took on more than one at one time. What was that like trying to juggle all of that all at the same time? I definitely have throughout my career done sometimes multiple jobs. I don't mean I have two 40-hour week jobs. I don't tell them about each other. For example, when my last startup wound up shutting down a couple of years ago, nothing to do with necessarily our finances. We had an issue with one of our partners. There were now pending lawsuits. Said, okay, well, this timing is actually good because I was working on the book. And a book, like any other entrepreneurial venture, you can't just say, well, if I build it, they will come. If you ever do a book, don't just say, okay, I'm done, done with the editing, cover design, press print or upload or whatever, done. You have to go out and market it. You have to sell the book, just like you have to sell your services. So I knew I had to put time in for that. I didn't want to take a full-time job because I needed significant time to market the book and my speaking and the other things, but I also needed income. Books, by the way, are not how you make money. No author, unless you're Stephen King, you're not making money from your book. Most people do a book like mine. The way they make money is they're an executive coach. They're some type of consultant, but that's not the work I want to do. I don't want to be an executive coach. And my book has very little to do with the day job as a CTO. So I said, all right, I want to promote the book. I want to get out there to help people, but how do I also make some money? So I went to the fractional CTO work and I would have a few clients that would be anywhere from 10 to 20 hours a week. I could have a couple of those and then some additional time for the book, for the app, for the speaking and together at work. And on one hand, there's a lot of context switching. There's a lot of, okay, you and I were just talking in this company about this project. And then a few hours later, I'm on some different company, a different project. And I have to, switch. what are the things I have to remember over there? So there was that overhead on the other hand, you learn things in different disciplines, whether it's, oh, here's a good vendor or tool or technique that I can apply to others, or even just ideas and concepts that I get doing one thing that could down the road be helpful in the bigger picture. So before we get into how you're helpful with the bigger picture, a question that popped into my head and something that I think you'll probably have expertise on better than a lot of us. What's the difference between a startup that succeeds and a startup that folds? You know, I'm reminded of the opening of Anna Karenica, which I'm not going to get exactly right, but I believe the opening is something like all happy families are happy in the same way, but unhappy families are each unhappy in their own unique way to do a startup and be successful, you have to get a whole bunch of things right. Now I'm talking a lot about the startups I do, not as solopreneur, but we're gonna get people and raise money. We have to find a team of people who have complementary skills. We have to be able to work together. We have to create a good culture. We have to hire people. We have to build the right product. And of course that takes a couple rounds of getting it right. We have to market right, find customers, get the right financing. We have to get the timing right. You have to hope you just don't have any adverse macro events. You don't want to start, for example, if you're doing a conference company, we're going to launch in April, 2020. Boy, was that bad timing. And you could fail through no fault of your own. That was just really bad timing. 
So all these things have to line up to get it right. To get it wrong, you can't find customers. You built the wrong product. You can't get financing. You had bad timing. You get into fights with your, your colleagues. You create a bad culture. There's a whole bunch of things you can do wrong. And doing it right doesn't in and of itself guarantee success. Creating a great work culture, that's good. Bad work cultures are toxic and will drag you down. But good work culture itself won't work if you don't have a good product. So there's one way to do it right and a whole bunch of ways to do it wrong. And actually, let me just be clear. I don't mean there's only one way to build a company, but it's getting these things right and there's different ways to get them right. Well, thank you for sharing that. And that may have been a little bit of a selfish question on my part, because I'm currently working for a startup. I've never worked for a startup ever. All of my experience, I think for the most part, it's all been in corporate America. So some of the things you said there, I'm like, you know, just little bits and pieces of that, I think I can relate to or see in my own experience. I mean, I'm at this point just kind of a cog in the machine more than anything, but, uh, you know, startups can be pretty small, so it doesn't take a whole lot to see the bigger picture. And I, I personally found what you just said to be like relatable and, you know, just something I've experienced myself. So whether I would actually start a startup, that's a whole nother question for another time. I don't know about that, but uh, I kind of like the kind of thing I'm doing now, but uh, let's, let me get the train back on the track a little bit because I really want to talk about your book. When did you get to the point where you said, I have all this knowledge and expertise on all these topics that I could turn into a book? Like when, when did you get to the point where you had that aha moment and started working on that? Now, I'm a person who, in the book, I say you should create a plan. You should have a career plan. But I also very much emphasize your plan can and should change. And it's not static. Don't say, well, that's my plan. I can't deviate. Update it when things come along. I wasn't planning to teach at MIT. I was planning to do startup companies. But then that opportunity came along. And okay, I'll, I'll teach. For many years, I was encouraging MIT to do two things. Our class is very uh, hands-on. It's not us lecturing at people, it's interactive and it's learning by doing, which is a great way to learn these skills, but means our students aren't taking a lot of notes. So I've said, you know, we should give them some notes. We should give them a takeaway because if you remember college, as soon as you finish a class, you kind of let everything fall out of your head after the last day. Well, let's, let's give them something that can help them going forward. I also wanted us to expand the class to other universities. Colleges, of course, and we're competitive in that, yeah, we compete for students or research dollars, but we all work together. We have similar missions, being helpful. We don't hoard our content, we share. In fact, MIT pioneered free online courseware. Let's give our content away to help more people. So I wanted our class to expand to other universities and every year I'd bring this up, they'd say, yes, yes, good idea. But for various reasons, we didn't have the resources to do that. So finally in 2019, I was spending a lot of time traveling for work, lots of time sitting on planes and hotels. I had the downtime. I thought, you know, let me just write up the notes. I'm gonna do it myself. Won't be great. It'll be a starting first pass. And I thought I'd be writing 20 pages of notes, but 20 pages became 40, became 80. And once it passed 100, I said, you know, I think I have a book here. Okay, well, this is not going to be a book just for college students and certainly not just for engineers. Let's broaden this. Let's address all the audiences because these are universal skills. And so it was at that moment where I said, what well, I thought was notes became a book. And frankly, I feel like the topics that you tackle are very universal. I mean, you know, just let me see here. So networking, negotiating, communicating, I mean, 
we all think we know how to communicate, but really communication goes so much deeper than just the word communicating, leading, career planning. These are all really good topics and things that I wish they would cover more as we're growing up. Because, yeah, there's a foundation, there's a certain formula for, you know, grammar school, high school, even college. But, and college is supposed to be like a different experience. You're supposed to be a little more enriched with your education. But I personally, unless you're really seeking it out, you don't get the full, like, enriched, like, uh, education on these topics. Not until you get out in the real world. And I, I let me just ask if you, and you'll probably say yes, but, or maybe I should even rephrase that and say, what would be a good time to start learning these skills as we grow up? Good question. Now, you've noted these are helpful universal skills, and I didn't just pick them arbitrarily. This comes from studies done by universities, by other groups who have surveyed companies and said, what are the skills you want to see? And these are what come up consistently. So it's not just something I picked out of a hat. This comes from well-established research. The skills themselves, absolutely, they should be taught in college. I would even say start to touch upon them in high school. We could even get to some of them, just really the starting the basic concepts in middle school. And the thing about these skills, there's no endpoint. There's no, okay, I learned algebra. I took however many years or semesters of algebra, and now I'm done. I have all the algebra I need. There's no point where you say, I've learned everything about leadership. People do their PhDs on leadership and then go on to do more research papers. So the key thing, the most important thing when teaching this isn't, we're going to teach you everything you need to know, but rather expounding upon people, here's the importance of this skill. Here's the fact that you can learn the skill. Yes, there are natural leaders, but there are also non-natural leaders who said, I don't do it naturally, but I will learn it and I'll learn to do this well. So if we can instill that in people, this is a skill, it is important, you can learn it. Here's the first few steps. Then we have put them on a path where they can continue to learn on their own, even if we can't give them as much formal training as we'd like. Well, just from my own experience, I mean, let's pick out networking, for example. It took me just for my own judgment until I got to like my late 30s. I'm in my early 40s now. So late 30s, early 40s is when I feel like I really started to learn how to network pretty good. I may have gotten it right here and there through trial and error. And believe me, there was a lot of studying up and reading and failing and succeeding. And I, I feel like I didn't get consistently good until I got older. And even then, I, I could definitely use more of an education. And I feel like if I had had that background and just had some kind of background, maybe 10, 15 years earlier, that could have been like life-changing for me. Same thing with like how to lead. I feel like I'm a pretty good leader and I know how to like, I guess, press the right buttons and to finesse things the right way. But again, I'm not sitting here thinking that I'm just this, you know, completely born, natural, really great leader. I had to learn a lot of stuff from like maybe a boss or two of mine who I'm thinking of two people in particular who really uh, taught me some good skills. And, you know, I had to just kind of learn just by being put in the situation and I mean, it's all stuff I feel like could 
maybe be caught sooner and, uh, you know, could really help people and make a difference. And that's why I love what you're doing with uh, this book, especially. I think it's a really great tool. And I think, you know, it's going to help a lot of people and hopefully is already helping a lot of people. Let's look at an example to what you're pointing out about the value of getting this early. So let's consider this hypothetical example. You're 25 years old. You go out, you have a job offer for $60,000. Now, fortunately, you've learned to negotiate. So instead of just taking the job as is, you apply some of the negotiation techniques you've learned and you negotiate for $1,000 more. You go from 60 to 61. That seems pretty doable. That's not a huge leap. It will take you about five minutes of negotiating, maybe a few emails back and forth, and you just went to 61,000. If you do nothing else, if you stay in that job for the next 40 years, one single five-minute negotiation just got you $1,000 more for 40 years. In five minutes, you just got $40,000. We're not talking about being the world's best negotiator. We're talking about getting just a little bit better. Now, of course, you're thinking okay, wait a second, I'm not staying in a job for 40 years. You're going to have other jobs. You'll have raises, you'll have promotions. You'll negotiate for more than $1,000. Learning to negotiate can add tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands of dollars to your lifetime earning. Now we use the example of employee. If you run your own business, you're negotiating with customers, with partners, with suppliers. We negotiate things that aren't just about money. Learning to negotiate gives you this incredible ROI that's compounding, like compound interest, it builds up over time. And here's the bigger secret. We can do this with negotiations. We can do the math, thousand dollars, 40 years, okay, 40,000. But the same thing is true for networking, communication, leadership. It's not that someone's going to say, well, you're a slightly better networker. So here's a thousand dollars more. They're gonna say, oh, hey, there's an opportunity and I happen to know you, are you interested? They'll help you out. They'll say, you're a slightly better communicator. Why don't you join this project? Why don't we give you the promotion? And so it's about getting just a little bit better at each and every one of these skills, and it will have this massive return on your overall success. So of all the skills that you're teaching, what do you see as the absolute most important everybody should have this skill and at least get a little bit better at it? There's no one skill. I get asked that question a lot. The reason I call the book The Career Toolkit is because this is a toolkit. It's like asking, what's the most important tool? Is it the hammer? Is it the saw, the screwdriver? Well, what are you trying to do? But like a toolkit, these all both stand alone and work together. When you get the book, you might say, I want to get better at negotiating. That's number one on my list. Open the book, go right to chapter nine, skip the first eight. That's fine. And you focus on chapter nine and you spend 45 minutes reading it. And now you've started to get better at negotiating. Then maybe you go back to chapter four, leadership. You work on that next. You don't have to read it in order. But like your toolkit, where obviously when you use the hammer and the saw and the screwdriver, you build a much better product than just using a saw, these tools do help reinforce each other and together allow you to create something even bigger than the ones individually. And not only was all that so well said, it really just all makes 100% sense, like everything that you're doing, because to your point, the hammer isn't more important than the screwdriver, but if you want to improve your skill with the hammer, that's something you take out of the toolkit and you work on getting a little bit better. And yeah, that I'm like sitting here, I'm like, well, that's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs> But, well, no, of course, we also have the app to help you because here's one thing that happens with books. You read a book, you say, wow, there is some great content here. There's great tips. I love it. And then as soon as you finish the book, you forget it all two weeks later. 
And that's not helpful. I'm not trying to get you to buy the book. I am trying to help you improve and be more successful. Now, the book is one way to do that. But to help you out, I've created a couple apps. The first is the Career Toolkit app. And it's free on the Android and iPhone platforms. With the app, it takes highlights from the book and you can use it one of two ways. The first might be, hey, I'm about to go into a negotiation. What were those tips in the book? We'll open up the app, flip through it, and that's going to help prep you for the negotiation. Or right before you go into a networking event, you can get the content just in time when and where you need it. The other way is you might say, you know, I want to improve my leadership. There's no one moment where I say, I'm about to lead now, but not after that. These are more continuous skills. And even networking and negotiating, you want to keep it top of mind. So the app, you don't even need to open it. Each day at a time you set, it will pop up one of the tips. So let's say 9 a.m. as you go into the office each day, you get that little tip, it pops up. You go, right, that's a good tip. Swipe it away. And just two or three seconds a day helps keep the content top of mind. You keep seeing it. It uses a technique called spaced repetition to help you retain it. So that's the Career Toolkit app. We create a more general version as well called BrainBump, also free on the Android and iPhone platforms. And with BrainBump, you get content not just from my book, but other books and podcasts and blogs and talks and other people as well. And so you get the same benefits, same usage, but even more content. I'm going to actually use these apps because these are all topics and skills that are, I know, are really important to me personally. And they're things that I'm always striving to get a little bit better at. And again, a little bit better is becoming more and more of a theme here. And would love to become a more, uh, a better negotiator. Like a little bit better for me would be a heck of a lot better than what I've got. I think there have been, there's one job interview I went in for, for like a government job. And they asked me, and I hate when people put the question on me, like, oh, what do you think you should be making for this job? Rather than just saying, okay, this is the salary. Well, can I make like, you know, a thousand more or whatever? Okay, cool. Or no, you can't. This is the salary. No, they actually were like, what do you think you should be making? And I'm thinking, well, it's a, corp it's a government job. I have all this like skill and background. I gave them a number that they were like, all right, you know, this is not like, you know, CBS or, you know, some big corporation. I think that conversation, I don't know for sure, but I think that conversation might have actually blown the job opportunity because I think, to be honest, I think I went about 20 or 30 grand higher, maybe even a little bit more than what they were aiming for with this job. And it's funny because I would have taken whatever they probably would have offered, but I overshot and uh, did not get called back. So I could use a little negotiation help. <laughs> well, one thing you can do in that circumstance is to do your research ahead of time to try and get a sense of where they might be. Certainly you'd want to anchor on the high end of that, but this way you might overshoot by 10,000 or so and not the 20 or 30. So I think, well, he's high, but maybe we can talk him down. I've got a bunch of other techniques for that particular question, as well as negotiating in general, covered in the book. And I think that's something I really need to read because I'm pretty sure that's the one situation that really sticks out for me because I walked away, had a great experience, but I walked away, I'm like, I could not get that job. And I know that that was the reason because I went at least 30 grand too high on the answer to their question. And it's just like, well, wait a minute here. We, you know, I, I can come down quite a bit, but you know, I'm ambitious and I'm thinking, well, this is my shot to, you know, get that big payday. And instead, 
I completely messed up. So I think an app and a book and the tools that you're offering, I think not only are valuable to me, I think are valuable to all of us because I think we all need that kind of a toolkit to, you know, just the reminders and just to get a little bit better and to keep working on those skills. I, I think that's a really great thing that you're doing. And yeah, fantastic. I, I wish I had that like whenever that was two, three, four years ago. So. <laughs> well, the good news we learned with negotiating, if you do it at 25, you get that thousand dollars for 40 years. If you do it at 45, you're still getting a thousand dollars more for 20 years. All these skills earlier is better but early means today. So no matter where you are in your career, you can start building and improving these skills today and you're going to get benefits for years to come. Well, speaking of what's to come, can you tell me now you, you've got the book, you've got the apps going on, what's next for you? Are you thinking about doing anything to in addition to what you're doing? Do you have any other CTO opportunities? What's, what's going on with you in the future? I've got a number of things going on. I am still doing fractional CTPO work, Chief Technology Product Officer work. So I'm doing some of that. I'm in the process of launching a new startup with one of my former colleagues. So we have that going. I've got, the book is out. I'll go on podcasts and talk about it. I'm doing a lot of speaking, and especially we're recording this in the summer of 2022. We're getting back to more in-person events. So I'm doing a bit of traveling and going out speaking to corporations and associations and conferences. And then with the app, we have it out. Now the app, it's like Netflix. Netflix doesn't just say, well, we have these shows, hope you enjoy them. They always have to get more content. And on the app, we're relatively new, so we don't have as much content as I'd like. But like Netflix, we're adding new content every month. So I'm working on expanding the amount of content we have on there. So all those things are keeping me very busy. Fantastic. And I think that's really great to hear that you're getting out there and actually getting out in public and speaking and traveling again. That's, I mean, obviously, there's still a lot going on in our world, but really great to hear Boy, what a change from when I started this podcast a few years ago. So that's really great to hear and really great to hear that you're continuing to just build on what you're doing. And, you know, you obviously have the passion and the expertise and all of that. And I mean, yeah, I, I wish you nothing but continued success and, uh, growth in all those areas. So um, speaking, I know you talked a bit about the, you know, the availability of the apps and the book. Can you talk a little bit about how people can find you on social media, how they can work with you, etc.? Absolutely. I've got two websites. The first is the career toolkitbook.com. If you go there, you can see where to buy the book, Amazon, of course, and other places. On the contact page, you can get in touch with me with questions or if you want to bring me into your organization. You can also follow me on social media from the contact page or elsewhere on the website. I put out new content each week. There's a bunch of articles. There's the Career Toolkit app I mentioned, and it's linked from the website. They'll take you right to the store to download it. There's also a resources page with a bunch of free resources for yourself and your organization. You can download that. I don't even gate it with an email. Take it, use it, enjoy it. So all of that is at thecareertoolkitbook.com. Then my second site, cognoscomedia.com, C-O-G-N-O-S-C-O media.com. And there we created the Brain Bump app. That's also for free on the Android and iPhone store. Right now, for some reason, the iPhone store, if you search for Brain Bump, it doesn't come up. So go to the website, follow that link. It does work if you search on Android. That app as well, completely free, Brain Bump on cognoscomedia.com. 
Awesome. Well, I hope everybody finds their way to those tools because I I think what you're doing is really great and really helpful. And we were so good staying so on point. I didn't even get to ask you about being like a top-ranked ballroom dancer, which is in your, uh, not your synopsis, but your author summary here on your site. How, how did you become like a top-ranked ballroom dancer? That's pretty unique. MIT actually has a very good sports program. Now, we're not known as a sports school. No one's coming to watch our football games. But it turns out we're very good at sports that might not be standard. So not football and soccer, but we had teams, I believe we had the number one bowling team in the country back when I was in college. Our rifle team and pistol team was very good. Crew, we were actually D1, but our ballroom team was phenomenal. Now it's not an NCAA sport, which meant there's no eligibility rules. And in fact, a sport like that was open, not just to students, not just to undergrads, but grad students, faculty, staff, and alumni. So I was able to stay with the team throughout my 20s and keep training with them. We had a very large team. We were one of the best in the country and we have produced some national champions. And with all that training, I was fortunate. I went to national championships for many years and became one of the top dancers in a couple of the different uh, fields. Wow, that's so cool. And interesting that that all started as a program at your college. I remember when I was first starting in college, long time ago, in the 20th century, um, I remember them offering ballroom dancing as like a sport. And back then, it's like my mindset's just completely different from what it is now. I was just like, who would want to do that? But you fast forward about 25 years later, like, man, that actually sounds pretty awesome. I, I would sign up to do that now. But uh, that, that's really awesome. And yeah. Yeah, in middle school, it was less appealing because girls, of course, were icky back in middle school. <laughs> it got a lot more interesting in my 20s. No, I'm sure. I'm sure. So, no, that's awesome. I saw that among a few other things in your bio here. Maybe I'll leave that for the listeners to kind of get them to check out everything else that you're doing here and uh, like your annual Halloween party cufflink collection. I guess I'm giving it all away. But uh, yeah, that's Again, Mark Hirschberg, thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to chat with me. I really appreciate it. And like all my other guests, very inspired by what you're doing and all the work and time that you've put into what you do to help people is just amazing. So thank you for what you do. And, uh, can't wait to see what you do next. Thank you for having me on the show. Awesome. Well, this was Mark Kirschberg, author of the Career Toolkit, Essential Skills for Success That No One Taught You, also the creator of the Brain Bump app. And I am Mark Schmidt, host of Mark My Words. And I thank Mark for coming by mark with a k i should add and thank you for listening and i'll be back soon with uh, another great guest and another new episode so thanks for listening and bye for now thanks again for taking time out of your busy day to listen to Mark My Words. If you would like to connect with me beyond the show, you can find me on LinkedIn at Mark Schmidt, where I will be talking about entrepreneurship, careers, and anything else that is on my mind. You can also connect with me on Twitter and Instagram 
at Nimrod1979 and Nimrod79 respectively. This podcast also has a page on Instagram at MarkMyWords. And finally, if you want to leave me a voicemail or check out what I'm up to with the podcast, come find me at podpage.com slash mark dash my dash words. Thanks again for listening, and I'll be back with a new episode soon. Bye for now.